I invite you to turn into your Bibles to Second uh, Chronicles over in the Old Testament this morning, Second Chronicles chapter 16, and uh, for, for our reading passage, we're just going to read the one verse, um, but I want you to keep your Bibles open. Because what we're actually going to do is uh, we'll go back and we'll kind of overview uh, chapters 14 and 15 um, to try to get the context of this most important and intriguing uh, and searching uh, verse of Scripture in Second Chronicles chapter 16. So I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have your own Bible, uh, we have some on the welcome, uh, at the welcome desk in the church lobby. We would love for you to pick up a Bible today as our gift to you, and uh, we'd love for you to, to have your own personal copy. If you're able, would you please stand in honor of uh, the reading of this portion of Scripture? So the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. What does God see when he sees me? Now, that's, that's meant to be a question that each of us individually are asking as we study this passage together today. Thank you. What does God see when he sees me? Let's uh, pause for just a minute before we get into the study today and ask the Lord to help us. Father, as we approach this really special and sacred time of our gathered worship today, we come around your word and and we believe that your word is alive and active. We believe that your spirit is alive and active and working. We believe that your word is true. We believe that your word is uh, breathed from you, given by you. And that, Father, your word speaks and you speak through your word and and you work in our hearts and our lives through your word, through the Spirit taking that word and in, in in the very corners of our hearts and minds in the deep places of our souls, Father, that that as your word seeps down into our very core that you are transforming us and changing us and making us more and more like Christ. And sometimes, Father, that's a very liberating, uh, that's a very freeing, it's, it's a very joyful occasion. Sometimes, Father, 
It's a painful, um, sometimes almost uh, terrifying, critical time in our lives when your word really gets down into the places and parts of us that we don't like to see or we haven't seen. But Father, we we really believe your word is true and we really believe this verse is true and we really desire to experience this in our lives and therefore we need your searchlight and we need your spirit and, and we need to know, Father, what this, not only what this means in the Bible, but what this means for me as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean in my life? What does it mean in my heart? What does it mean for me to go from where I am right now to a place where you would say, not me or someone else, but you would say, He is blameless toward me. So there's really no room here, Father, for us to put on to to put on airs or to pretend or to be deceived. And so for that, Father, we just we, we just ask God that you would do something special and supernatural and wonderful life-changing, life-saving today. And we depend upon you, and we ask for it in Christ's name. Amen. What does God see when he sees me? Well, to kind of introduce this uh, passage, I want to kind of step back to last week. If you remember last week, we were also looking at a passage where we learned about uh, another kind of search that's taking place throughout the world. And to do that, we we were looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And in that passage of Scripture, uh, we learned about our enemy, the adversary, the our adversary, the, the devil who was uh, prowling around, uh, roaming around like a, a roaring lion. So the devil is doing a search. The devil is doing a scan around the, uh, around the earth. But in today's text, we see that the Lord is scanning the earth. He's, his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. And I wanted to kind of just present both of those together to kind of introduce this study this morning. So in 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So that's who he is, and that's what he does. Now, in our text today, 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says... For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. That's who he is. That's what he does. 
So in, in, the, in 1 Peter 5, we see the roaring lion. He, he's prowling around. He's on the hunt, and he's on the hunt for a kill. That's what he's looking for. He's hunting for a kill. He's just like that hungry lion. He's looking for the vulnerable. He's looking for weakness. He's looking for the loner that's kind of separated himself from everyone else. He's seeking. He's searching. He's, he's after something. And the Bible says clearly he's, he's there to devour. He's there to devour Jesus said, the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's about. That's all he's up to. That's all he's doing. But then we have in this passage, the eyes of the Lord, the all-seeing eyes of the Lord, who sees everything, who knows everything. The scripture says that that his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. God is, is scanning the entire globe, scanning every population, every people group, every nation, every family, every home, every heart. His, his eyes each and every day run throughout the whole earth, and he's also hunting. He's also on the hunt, but not to kill, to help. Not to hurt, but to help. He's not seeking who, is, who would be an easy prey to devour. He's seeking who to support, who, who to lift, who to be gracious to. He's not out to attack the weak. He's he's out to lift up the blameless. And so we have, too, our our enemy, our adversary, and the Lord himself are, 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 are scanning the world. And so both come across our lives at any given point. The devil prowls around seeking someone whom he may devour. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. So at any given time, those, the, 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 the devil prowls around our lives or the eyes of the Lord run through our hearts. Now, when the devil prowls around our lives, and he does, we, the Bible tells us what to do, right? We are to be spiritually alert, be sober-minded, and be watchful. Know, who our, know that we have an enemy, know who he is, know what he's up to. Be spiritually aware and alert. Be ready to resist him. Be ready to understand his deceptive lies and schemes, now, when the Lord's eyes fall upon our hearts, we, we want to be blameless toward him. When the Lord's eyes search us in, in regard to him and in relation to him, how we are in relation to him, our, how we truly are in relation to him, the Bible says he will give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. So, so that's what we really need to get into, isn't it? And, and we'll talk a little later about, so what does blameless mean? What does that mean for us to be blameless toward him? 
But just for now, we just want to make this, this uh, observation and this statement. We, we need to be ready for both, right? If one is prowling around and one, the eyes of the Lord, is running to and fro, we need to be ready for both. We, we don't want to be devoured. We don't want to be devoured by the devil. And, and we do need the strong support of the Lord. We do need the strong support of the Lord in our lives. Now, King Asa then becomes the example for us in which this verse of Scripture appears. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about the sad and tragic tale of King Asa. And to do that, I want us to flip back in our Bibles. We're going to start with chapter uh, 14, and we're going to read and look at a few segments of Scripture along the way. make some observations and application to our lives today. The sad and tragic tale of King Asa. Now, as I read some of these passages of Scripture, there's no doubt about it that I'm going to butcher these names and these places, but we'll just pretend that I'm pronouncing them as the way they should be pronounced. And that's the way we can handle that. So the first thing I want us to note about King Asa, which is probably Asa, but we like to say Asa, don't we? So we'll say Asa. The first thing to notice is that he started well. He started really well. And we see that in chapter 14 and verses 1 through 6. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And, and Asaph, his, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. And, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He started well. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He, he also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and incense altars. So he did away with all the false worship. He did away with all the idolatry, and the kingdom had rest under him. And he he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He, He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. He started really well. He was doing all of the right things to do as a king, and especially as the king of God's people there in, in Judah. He was removing the, the false worship and the idolatry, and he was commanding the people and leading the people to worship the Lord. And God blessed that. God's blessings rested on the land and and on the king for that. They had peace. They were able to to fortify and build up. And and it was a great time of, of rest. He started well. The second thing that I want us to see that continues to follow as the, the story of Asa is that he ran well. So he started well and then he ran well. 
And we see this, he came upon really his first big test. His first big test. Drop down with me to verse, to verse 8 of chapter 14. It says, And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah armed with large shields and spears and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. And all these were mighty men of valor. Verse 9, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marashah. So here's his first test. An army that outnumbers his army two to one is coming after him. A million men strong. And they're coming out to face him. He's outmatched. He's outstrengthed. He's outnumbered. And they are moving in. What does he do? What will he do? And look at verse 11. And Asa cried to the Lord. That's what he did. And Asa cried to the Lord. He turned to the Lord, his God. And he said, look at the, the prayer. Oh Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us. So he's acknowledging his reliance, he's acknowledging his weakness, he's acknowledging his complete dependence upon the Lord and the Lord's complete sufficiency. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and the men of Judah carried away very much spoil. He cried to the Lord, he turned to the Lord. And the Lord did what he does. He helped. He relied upon the Lord. He turned to the Lord. So in the life of King Asa, he started well and he's running well. And when we get down to chapter 15, now he's, he's going to be reassured by the Lord for, for his path, the, his, his faith, the way he's living life, the way he's leading Judah. God's going to reassure him through this prophet. So it says in, in chapter 15, uh, verse 1, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. 
and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So he's being reassured by the Lord. In other words, he's saying, what just happened with the Ethiopians? What just happened? That's the way to just keep living your life. That's the way to keep running this kingdom. Just keep turning to the Lord, seeking the Lord, relying on the Lord And if you seek him, he's going to be found by you. But if you forsake him, if you turn from him, he will forsake you. So just keep doing what you've been doing. You're running well. You're running well. Now what happened then when when Esau heard this is he responded to that message of the Lord reassuring and and reaffirming his faith, and he responds by leading the people in revival and worship. Look at verse 8, chapter 15, verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols. So <clears throat> we learn from that we need, we need an ongoing, a regular cleaning out of the idols in our hearts, right? We clean them out, and then over time, they, they, they come back in, don't they? So it's not a one-time thing. We just need to keep cleaning out our hearts and lives of our idols. So verse 8, he, he took courage, put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that, it, that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And, and so th- then he gathers all the people and he says, we're devoting ourselves to the Lord. We're giving ourselves to the Lord. He's, he's leading the people in revival and worship. And how do they respond? How do they respond in in, uh, in verse, look with me in verse 15. Chapter 15, verse 15. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him, the Lord, with their whole desire, and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. And so see what happens, see what see what the prophet said, if you seek him, he will be found by you. That's verse 2. Now in verse 15, it actually happens, right? You can actually apply, you can actually live what God says to you. It will actually happen in your life if we do what God tells us to do. So God said, seek me and I will be found by you. And in verse 15, they they seek him, they sought him with their whole desire and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. So we see this great, I mean, you, you can't get, in, you can't get a, a better spiritual season and a better spiritual place than what we're reading in chapter 14 and 15. 
And it even goes farther now because what we see in King Asa now in the next little section of Scripture is that he actually practices what he preaches. He actually lives at home what he says in front of all Judah and Benjamin when he has a big crowd in front of him. Because in verse 16, look at this. He brings it home. He brings his faith home, doesn't he? Even Ma'akah, his mother, King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. He brought it home. And it says there in the last part of verse 17, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. Look at verse 19. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. 35 years. 35 years, Asa is an outstanding example of a believer, of a leader, of a godly king. He started well. He ran well. But now here's the sad and tragic part of the story. He didn't finish well. He didn't finish well. Another test came his way. In, verse, in chapter 16, in verse 1, in the 36th year, the next year, here came the other test. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So Israel comes against Judah. So what does, what's he going to do now that an that army has come against him? We would think, right, reading chapter 14 and 15, we would think, well, he's going to do what he's always been doing. But he doesn't. Never make assumptions about what you're going to do tomorrow. Never make projections about what, how you're going to handle the next test. Because at some point, he quit relying on God. But he didn't realize it. In verse 2, here's what he did. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus. And he bought what he did. He turned from the Lord to man. He didn't seek The Lord, chapter 15, verse 2, if you seek him, he will be found by you. He didn't seek the Lord. He sought another man's army. He bought another man's army instead of trusting and relying in the Lord like he used to do. 
God gave him no reason not to trust him, right? He trusted in the Lord, and the Lord came through. The Lord was faithful. The Lord promised, you seek me, I'll be found. I'm there. It actually happened throughout the land, throughout the king's heart and the, and the, and the people. It, it was happening all around him. There, there was really no reason, there's really no reason for us to back up from the Lord. So this first test, he cried to the Lord. This test, he bought another army. And if you look, things kind of go, go his way. Drop down with me to verse 6. So we're getting closer and closer to our main verse, right? In verse 6, Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, which Basha had been building. And with them he built Jabah and Mizpah. So, so the, the king, Ben-Hadad, he, he, took, he took all the treasures and he, came, he, came, he turned his army against the cities of Israel. And so Israel had to turn away from their advance against Judah. And so it looks like everything's going well. It looks like things worked out. It looks like it's okay. I can do things God's way, and it turns out pretty good, and I can do things my way, and it still turns out pretty good. At first glance, it looks like everything's okay. Problem solved. Israel's gone. I bought, I bought Ben-Hadad's army. They chased off Israel. Problem solved. Not quite. Now there's a bigger problem. Verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. And here's our key text. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. If you would have just turned to the Lord. But in not turning to the Lord, you portrayed the Lord as not faithful, as not sufficient, as not able. As not your Savior, as not your Lord, as not your God. So he says, you have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have war. So the seer, the spokesman for the Lord, comes and reveals Asa's sin to him of turning from the Lord and turning to the strength of man instead of the Lord. And rather than respond in repentance, rather than Asa saying, you're right, the word of the Lord is right. I should have known better. I, 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 you know, I, I, I repent. I, I, did, I did wrong. This was wrong. I tried to make my own way instead of God's way. Instead of re responding with repentance, he responds with rage. 
He gets mad at God. He gets mad at God and he takes it out on the messenger. Look at verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison for he was in a rage with him because of this. And not only did he take it out on the messenger and Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. He just went berserk that he had been called out, that the spotlight had been placed on his heart. And he simply couldn't take being wrong. It's a sad and tragic tale with a very sad ending when verse 12 says, In the 39th year, so just three years later, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet and his disease became severe. Yet even in this, he didn't seek the Lord And then he finally dies in the 41st year of his reign. He dies and they buried him. A lesson from King Asa. One of the big lessons is it matters how we finish. It matters how we finish. The truth of the matter is We're all going to end where he did. We're going to die and they're going to bury us. Something's going to happen. We're going to die and they're going to bury us. But how did we end? How did we finish? So that's the sad and tragic tale of Asa that where this key verse comes in And for us, here's how we want to apply it for us today. We want to start well. We want to run well. We want to finish well. And for that, we want to apply 2 Chronicles 16.9 to our lives. So let's notice a few things about this. Just make a few observations about this verse before we close our time together this morning. Number one, make sure we understand this, that verse 9 is for everyone, not just King Asa. You see, you see the language of that verse? Hanani said, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. That verse is for everyone. That's not just for the, for the king. That's for everyone to hear. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those, anyone, those, anyone whose heart is blameless toward him. That's for us all to hear. That's a universal truth that comes in this specific application to Asa. But in our situation here this morning, that universal truth is specifically applied to each and every one of us. This is absolutely true. So we need to ask some questions about that. Number one, we need to ask this. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? 
Do we really believe the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth? Do we really believe that God sees each and every one of us and exactly who we are on the inside? Man looks at the outward appearance, right? But God looks at the heart. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that tomorrow when we wake up and go throughout our day on Monday that sometime, in some way, God's going to look into the deep recesses of our heart and he's going to see exactly who we really are. Not who I say I am. Not who you think I am. Not what other people say I am. But who I am. Do we really believe that? That there's no, there's no way to hide from God who we are. There's no way to, to put on a show before God. There's no way for us to be anything different than who we truly are before God. His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Do we really believe it? Number two, we need to ask this question. Do we see ourselves in need of the strong support of the Lord. Do you do we really feel and sense that utter dependency upon God not for our next breath but also for our our spiritual life for our eternity for the next step for the next day, do, do we really understand that we truly live in a moment-by-moment existence that we are absolutely in need of the strong support of the Lord in our lives to make it through, to finish well, to start well, run well, finish well. We really need strong support that's not from ourselves, but it is from the Lord. Do we really sense that? Remember back in chapter 14, verse 11, Asa crying to the Lord, and he said, Lord, we need your help. We need your help. We're in a situation here. We're outnumbered. We can't do this. We need you. That's, that, that's where we're at, church. Each and every aspect of our lives, we're in this situation in which it's, it, we can't do this. We can't be who God's called us to be. We can't do what God's called us to do. We, 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 can't, we, can't, we can't make ourselves right with God. We, we can't do any of this without His Help. Do we really believe we need his help? And then do we really believe that he does help, that he can help, that he will help, that he does give strong support, that it is sufficient, that it is strong, that it is support, that he does meet our need? Do we really believe the verse? Do we really believe that we're in need of God's support and that he does help. And then lastly, what does it mean to have a blameless heart toward God? Because everything really hinges on that, doesn't it? 
He's going to give strong support. He will give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. That's what he's looking for, a heart that's blameless towards him. So what is that? That's what we got to know. So a blameless heart doesn't mean a sinless heart. It doesn't mean you are a you are a perfect person. There's only been one, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean sinless. Here's what it means. A whole heart. The whole of your heart. And we learn that from the very context. Look with me at just, just a few verses of Scripture. Turn back with me to chapter 15. In chapter 15... And in verse 15, again, I just want to read this verse again. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn, here it is, with all their heart, whole, their whole heart, and had sought him with their whole desire, whole desire, whole affection, blameless, all their heart, whole desire, and he was found by them, and he gave them rest. There's that strong support. Now, look with me in verse 17. This is talking about Asa, right? Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all those days. Wholly true for 35 years. Wholly true. Whole heart. Blameless. Wholly true to the Lord. And then back up to uh, chapter 14 and verse 11 where Asa is praying. And he says this, Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on on you wholly relying on him a heart that is blameless toward the lord is a heart that's wholly relying and trusting in him in him for salvation in him for life in him for grace and mercy and direction in him, wholly trusting and relying. That's a blameless heart. Holy desiring, holy desiring him. That first and for our first and foremost affection is directed to him, not to anyone else or anything else. Holy directed to him. He's our whole desire. And then wholly true to him. We see that in, in, in chapter 14 and chapter 15 gives us the understanding of this verse. What does it mean to be blameless toward him? Holy desiring him. Holy relying on him. Holy true to him. Our whole heart directed to him. So how? What do we do with that? Here's, what, here, here's, here's where the reflection and the, and the prayer and the response comes in. Is there any part of our heart? Is there any part of our affection? Is there any part of our lives? Is there any part of our heart that belongs to God that we've kept? that we've kept from him or we've given it to someone or something else? 
Is there any part of your heart, is there any part of my heart that belongs to God that we've kept or that we've given to someone or something else? Or are our whole hearts toward Him? What does God see when God sees me? Let's pray. Father, the easiest thing in the world for us to do in terms of our old self is to go back to that old mindset of relying on self and doing things the old way and doing things the normal way and adopting worldly thinking and worldly practices and just kind of going with the flow and, and not even acknowledging our dependence on you, acknowledging your sovereignty and lordship over our lives. And I'm sure, Father, if anyone else in this room is like me, as, as we're studying through this passage, your spirit is just revealing to me thing upon thing upon thing that, that you're just saying, Will, that, that's, that's not blameless. That, that's not right. Your, your, your whole heart is not with me right there. And so, Father, there's, there's, there's no way in the world, I, I believe, we, we can go through a passage like this without your Spirit saying, here's a place of your heart that you need to give to God. Here, here's, here's a thing in your life that you need to give to God. Here, here, here's, here's what will make a whole heart devoted to Him in your life. A very specific application. I believe, Lord, in a very specific way you have spoken to each and every one of us to say this thing right here. This is it right here. In order for us to be blameless toward you. So that, Father, when your eyes run to and fro the rest of this day and tomorrow and the rest of our lives, that when you see me, that you might see a heart blameless toward you. So instead of, like Asa, responding with, rage or denial or whatever father would you help us respond in repentance today would you help us to rid ourselves of what needs to be rid to to apply to ourselves what needs to be added today and if we are without christ lord would today be the day that we embrace him as lord and savior we ask all this in his precious name amen